Hi everybody, good day. As we say in Canada here, good day A. Welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. This is episode four of season two of the podcast for Cultural Reformation. And this season is all about cultural pressure points, where the ground is shifting under our feet, and what God's eternal authoritative word calls normal. Today our topic is race, racism, and justice, and I'm excited to have Samuel Say with me. Samuel is a Toronto-based author and blogger at the website Slow to Write. His work has also been featured on Wretched.org and The Aquila Report, as well as The Statement on Social Justice, which we're going to consider in a forthcoming episode. Samuel and I talk about reading and writing, particularly on the issue of race, the MLK 50 celebration, black liberation theology, and James Cone. You're not going to want to miss this. Samuel, say, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for being here. Thank you for having me, sir. No, my pleasure. Um, uh, We'll begin by reading a passage of scripture, partly because there's just uh, no better way to begin many things. From from there, I'm going to ask you to... Uh, just explain what uh, what this passage might have meant for for the original audience and what it means for us today in the uh, the questions under discussion. Mm. And uh, our passage today is Ephesians two uh, verses eleven to twenty two. I'll just read it here. It says, "Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands." Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Sam, maybe you could just take a few minutes and uh, and exegete this passage for us and help us to understand what uh, what Paul here is saying about these two people groups who have, who are who he now identifies as one in Christ. So when the Apostle Paul addresses Gentiles as the uncircumcised, uh, the circumcised, he's referring to the the truth that uh, the Jews often would uh, describe the Gentiles as the uncircumcised to. Um, to describe the position um, that the, the Gentiles had held in, in the Old Covenant, and I guess more particularly to God. So that is also an explanation to the, the, the division between Gentiles and the Jews. 
but as Paul describes, um, he, 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 he describes that they are indeed separated, that they were in it from the commonwealth, and that they were strangers to the covenant of promise. But, uh, as verse 12 says, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, they were far off, that they were not amongst God's people, they were not amongst the commonwealth, but in Christ, they now have a new identity shared with the Jews, and that the identity is that they are in Christ, that there is no longer about the circumcised or the uncircumcised. It's now about the identity in Christ. And I think one key thing, too, is um, he pulled on so that they're being built together. Um, and that erases any doubt about... Um, because it, it could be very easily seen as that one is more evil than the other, um, that one, because of the identity, is worse than the other. But in Christ, they are all one. Just as without Christ, they were all alike in that they were both lost uh, without Christ. So in Christ, they're being built together, they're being sanctified together, and that they've already been reconciled to each other, and more precisely, to God in, in holiness through the blood of Christ. Sam, um, I just wanted to ask you, we, we got connected uh, through your blog at uh, Slow to Write, and you've been, you've been blogging steadily for a number of years now. Um, let me just ask you, what, uh, what got you started on, on writing? Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I've always, well, not always, I, uh, I didn't read, I, I always say I didn't truly read a book until I was 19, and that's when I became a Christian. <laughs> um, and I, as I realized how ignorant I was of the Bible's message, I, I had a huge desire to just read books by just godly, you know, uh, preachers and writers and theologians and just have a better understanding of God's Word. So that's where my passion for reading started. And naturally, as I was reading these these fantastic books by these godly wise men, I had friends who didn't have quite the, the same thirst I did to read these books. So then, uh, so then within that, I had a, a desire to write. Um, but it took me a number of years before that would really come into fruition. And um, I, so my pastor is Tim Challies, and he kindly um, offered um, that I become his intern in 2013. So in 2013, I was around Tim, and I was just seeing him pastor uh, my church so well and then just um, write so well as well, too, at the same time. And as I was his intern and just seeing the in and out of blogging, I just had a passion for it. So then um, three years ago in 2015, um, I was still figuring out. I just thought that I didn't really have much to say because, you know, there were so many good bloggers out there, including Tim. So I was like, well, what did I really have to offer? But then in 2015, that's when the Ferguson riots really, um, you know, became, you know, ignited. Um, and it was just a huge um, topic around the world and in the church. Um, but... I was. I had thoughts that you know no one seemed to share. I had um, you know concerns that um, I wasn't. I, I wasn't you know reading about or hearing about from uh, a lot of uh, like-minded Christians in general. So then I thought, okay, well let me just start a blog, and 
you know, share what I've been researching and, and, and reading about this topic that I'm very passionate about so that people then would maybe hear the other side because it's not too often that I think uh, people hear, uh, people because you know, uh, people think that, you know, maybe all black people think the same, but it's actually, that's actually not true. Uh, but not, there are not that many bloggers out there who uh, blog about these issues from my perspective, so I thought maybe it'd be helpful if I were to share mine, and um, that's how uh, Slow to Write started. Yeah, that's awesome, and it's. Uh, I, I guess it's true in, in uh, at least in in my reading. You're uh, you're a bit. Your perspective is is a bit of a. Uh, you're a bit unique. You've, you're coming from a uh, a thoroughly reform perspective and trying to bring that issue, or bring that perspective to bear on an issue of like the issues of of race and racism and immigration. Um, which is a field, or I guess a subject that's that's often dominated by by voices from the other side. Yeah. Um, so I just want to talk uh, talk a little bit about two two events happened uh, earlier this year in the spring, pretty much back to back. The uh, the MLK fifty sub uh, commemorations and the death of the uh, the Black Liberation theologian James Cone. Uh, so you you wrote about both of those things on your blog separately. Um, that, uh, that got a lot of, uh, a lot of attention online, uh, both inside and outside the Christian community. Um, why, why do you, why do you think that those events and your writing on them got the level of circulation that it did? I think, um, p- part of it is because I think these things, these things have been, um, slowly, you know, burning and and slowly uh, surfacing uh, for for some time. I think the the MLK uh, conference uh, that happened um, it spoke to a lot of people uh, who agreed with that point of view, where they were basically um, you know showing their support for social justice and um, really really uh, advocating for many of the points. Um, from Black Lives Matter. Uh, not all the views that Black Lives Matter holds, but particularly on the racial issues. And there have been people um, that were upset or concerned that the church wasn't adopting Black Lives Matter's views on, the, on, you know, on racial issues. So I think when the MLK conference happened, a lot of people um, on the other side, so to speak, were very passionate and, and thrilled about that. But on the other end, you had people like me who were very concerned that they were um, advocating, you know, for thing for things that were um, unbiblical and that were, uh, as I as I um, wrote in in the article, that they were this, this, they were more like what Karl Marx taught than what Moses taught, and that they had a view of justice that. Um, from what they were saying, very Marxist, uh, and that concerned me. So, and I wrote an article uh, titled uh, "Moses or Marx," where um, hopefully I was respectful in my approach, but I wanted to express my concern that we are redefining the redefining the definition of justice, and that that is a very dangerous um, thing to um, you know to to head towards. So, yeah, surprisingly, um, that, I guess, people, you know, in the same way that people were very excited about 
what the ML conference was about. Many people like myself were concerned. So from what I hear, people were saying that I was able to articulate their concerns, um, you know, which is why I, I suppose it, um, it, it was received as well as it did. Uh, but then, actually, I had planned already to write about black liberation theology because one of my concerns is that social justice, as it's often described and defined by um, our friends on the other side, it sounds a lot like um, a um, like an old um, heresy that developed out of the 19, late 1960s by a man called James Cone. So mm-hmm. as I was preparing to write an article, I actually find out that James Cone um, has passed away. And, and then uh, I wasn't too surprised by this, but um, a number of uh, evangelical leaders, um, sadly, um, you know, mentioned that they that they were influenced by James Cone's theology. Um, so, when I, so I wrote my article explaining the diff, explaining the comparison between woke theology, which is in general um, a woke theology is, is a way that a lot of um, Christians who support social justice describe themselves as woke theologians or woke Christians. Yeah. And I wanted to explain the, um, the similarities between uh, black liberation theology and woke Christianity, and really the differences as well, too. Because woke theology or Christians who have embraced social justice, they're not heretical. Um, they embraced uh, orthodox uh, beliefs, but they have shifted on their views on justice uh, in a very dangerous manner. Um, so I wrote an article to compare the two, and I guess because of the timing as well, um, it was received also very well, um, for the most part, anyways, by um, by my readers. And yeah, for sure. Do you uh, do you get your fair share of of angry emails? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's um, yeah, it, it, it's fascinating though because it, it never seems to surprise me uh, the number of emails I get from. Uh, white Christians who angrily tell me basically how much they love black people more than I do. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. It's uh, and see, and one of the concerns too is so woke theology has this idea about the so woke theology basically is a play on you know being awakened um, you know to truth. And yeah, it's and it's yeah, yeah. it's a bit of a resurgence of um, you know consciousness was very popular amongst. A lot of black thinkers in their early 70s that they were conscious of the truth in a way that other people weren't. They were really aware. And it's very gnostic in many uh, in many ways. But um, so woke theology has this idea that well, if you're white or particularly if you're black and you're for you know you see the systemic racism that people like myself support you know don't see, then that makes them woke or you know awakened, and that makes me you know. I'm not really, I'm blind to the truth. So oftentimes, a lot of people, you know, send me emails calling me Uncle Tom, um, you know, using racial slurs against me and really being racist against me as a way to describe just how much more they hate racism than I do. Just how unracist they are. So what, uh, what, what's the opposite of wokeness? Like, are you unwoke? Like, is it, uh, I'm, how do they, how, how does that work? Well, I would say that the opposite of being woke is being realistic. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and see the thing, 
right? So it's it's very much focused not on facts but on feelings. And, you know, so if that's the case, so, for example, I, I always say um, if, 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 if we can identify a truly um, discriminatory law or policy against black Americans or black Canadians, I would be, I'll be the first to say that let's fight that. Um, a lot of my heroes were men like Francis Brimke, William Wilberforce, Martin Luther King, um, you know, Frederick Douglass, guys who really hated systemic um, uh, injustice. However, today, we cannot, and I've asked this from, from I've asked, you know, I've asked every single person who disagrees with me to just name one law, and to this day, uh, no one has been able to name one law that is um, tangibly racist against black people. So, to answer your question, they say, well, they're woke because they see, they can say, well, we don't see an actual law against black people, but we know we're awakened to the truth behind what's going on in the scenes. So, really the opposite, the best way I can answer is that I'm just being realistic and I want to see what's really real in front of me. I'm not going to assume that I know better than people, that I have some kind of innate, um, you know, Gnostic way of seeing the truth that others can't. Now, there's... Um there's there's realism um there's wokeness um but uh, i mean part of realism as you mentioned like if uh, if we can find an actual racist law or racist policy we'd be we'd be yeah very keen to oppose that and strike that from the books um how do we uh what what's what's the biblical principle like what's a uh, is what is a biblical understanding of racism like what what would be an instance of actual racism as opposed to um this imagined or maybe this uh, this woke uh, understanding of racism yeah that's a really good question because i think unfortunately over the years we we keep redefining um what it means to be a racist and it's oftentimes um as a way to um to introduce an agenda uh, so, for example, today there are many people, including those on the woke side, who would say that if you're black, you can't be a racist. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They would say that, yeah, to be racist, uh, you know, has to be um, uh, power plus privilege, uh, which makes no sense. But that's how they, they they understand racism. But racism has no regard for one's skin color. What I mean by that is anyone can be a racist. And to be racist really is to um, favor or or oppose anyone because of their race because of their race um and it, and really we, it starts from say you know saying um in in slavery where people justified slavery by uh, suggesting that black people were subhuman um mm -hmm. but really racism can also be in a positive as well what i mean by that is not positive as if it's a good thing to be racist but um so i would categorize affirmative action as racist right, in right, that right, right. it's not only is not only does it is it unfair to um those who are not considered minorities it's also quote-unquote positive in that it it says so so for example if you're black because you're black because of your race we're going to treat you differently than we would treat others so the idea might be to help the person but it's still racist in nature in 
that you are judging that person because or treating them differently because of their race, and that that is not right. We are to be um, we're not to be partial to anyone. We're not to favor anyone. We should simply treat people um, fairly as we would other people. Sam, maybe you can comment on on this one something that I've seen um, as this uh, as this conversation about wokeness and race and justice kind of sort of freewheels wildly down the the cultural road here um so, something that i that i see is some pushback against these this irresponsible accusation of racism against uh against people who don't uh, who don't think like you think like me um there's pushback from from groups who are actually racist like there's uh, there's this sort of corresponding rise of they're what's being called the alt-right or don't remember the name of the group but there are like white nationalist movements who are kind of growing their their profile is is on the rise um are the, do you think that uh, that these two things are related yeah yeah i think so i think um unfortunately sin uh, has a way of tempting of tempting others to sin as well um and so just as for example, in in South Africa, um, because unfortunately for many years during the apartheid, because you had a lot of white people being racist towards black uh, South Africans, it's now turned of its head where now you have, uh, unfortunately, a lot of black South Africans being racist towards uh, uh, white South Africans as a means of really revenge. And um, that happens, that's happening today as well, too, where I think because of the legacy and the history of racism towards black people in the West, it produced a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness, uh, which, which then led to racism against white people, which is now also now heading, unfortunately, in the reverse, where groups like the all right, uh, many of them who feel alienated by uh, society because they're um, you know, white straight males, because of that, they are now also uh, using the same kind of thinking that um, people, basically black supremacists, um, you know, uh, have, and then they're using the same kind of tactics in identity politics to uh, increase and to enlarge uh, their, their group. So I am just concerned with, um, with it really in a sense, Black Lives Matter, as I am with the alt-right. Um, right, because right. they share the same principles, except one is more popular in society today than the other. No, that uh, that makes sense. That's uh, that's well said. That uh, that one sin tempts tempts and leads to other sin. If uh, if we, if we think back to uh, to this passage in Ephesians that we started with, um, it's uh, like it's very clear that uh, like. God in Christ is reconciling these two people groups, the Jew and the Gentile. Um, but you can't uh, you can't reconcile unless there's first a, uh, a separation. And like his, historically, like the Israelites were God's chosen, called out, set apart people. Uh, but uh, but we know like throughout Scripture, we read that we we read that part of this separation, part of this calling out is to, is for them to receive the words of the Lord and then to bring them, uh, to act as a light to the nations, to bring those words to, to the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad you've, um, pointed back to Ephesians too, because 
Uh, I didn't say it earlier because I wanted to say it later, but I think in one of the things that really concerns me and troubles me is when people use the term racial reconciliation um, for this particular topic. Now, I think it's appropriate, but I think they oftentimes use it in the wrong means. Oftentimes, when they when people talk about racial reconciliation, they're referring to political re- reconciliation. They don't mean it theologically. They don't mean it in Christ. Oftentimes, I'm hearing people say, if we need to, if we want to reconcile to each other, we should do this and this. But as we read, it's very clear that we are already reconciled, that all people groups, Jews and Gentiles, black and white, in Christ, that we are already reconciled. Now, what's happening now, what Christ is doing now, that he's building both groups together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, right? That's what uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2.22, that we are being built up together. That's not necessarily reconciling, that's sanctifying um, us together in Christ. But already, reconciliation has already happened in the cross. And when you find people trying to use um, socioeconomic or political means to reconcile people, it's never going to work because reconciliation is only in Christ. True reconciliation is in Christ. Now, individuals can reconcile to each other, but you can't reconcile races unless you're God, right? And that's really concerning to me. I think that's actually what's part of the problem, that we've forgotten good theology because we're focusing on what's the best political policies to use to advance our agenda. Um, Having said that, and understanding, I, I I totally agree with you that uh, that it starts theologically and it starts um, sort of from the ground up. You can't uh, you can't impose a political solution to uh, to solve the, the a, a racial issue. Um, but uh, do you, like do you see that, or do you do you see a way? Is there a biblically faithful way that uh, that we can pursue? Um, racial reconciliation, for want for want of a better term. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's. I, I suppose um, one of the things that uh, I find, uh, well, one of the, I guess what what I would say is, if we, do you mean it from the from the church? Do you mean from the church, or do you mean it in society as a whole? Um. Maybe maybe a better question to start with is, who whose responsibility is it to uh, to work towards reconciliation? Um, like, is the is there a, is there a legitimate way that that the state can be involved in this? That the church or the school or the courts um, can be can work towards um, reconciliation? Yeah, I think. Um really goes back to um, this is oftentimes this is described as a gospel issue but I, I, I describe it but I describe it more as a um, godliness issue in the sense that you know when I read what Paul reads uh, what Paul writes in um, Philippians that I should consider others as more significant than myself that that means that so I, I wrote an article uh, I think last year where I, I describe an event um, that happened um, where I'm walking um, in, a, in a tunnel and it's, a, it's right under uh, a bridge and a white woman is walking past me. And as she's walking past me, she basically throws herself to the other side and she's just clutching her purse and walking really oh, fast yeah. oh, away yeah. from me. 
And I immediately, my first impression is, well, she's doing this because I'm black. But as I'm walking, um, still, I think to myself, no, possibly, maybe that's why she's doing that. But I need to think more about, um, I need to assume the best of her instead of assuming the worst of her. And that if she was a black woman doing that, I wouldn't think she was racist. So I have to remember what the Bible says about assuming the best of others, that um, I should consider her as more significant than myself. And that's to say, I think if we would remember that we are to live peaceably with all men, so long as it depends on ourselves, that if we would remember that we should consider ourselves less significant than others, that if we would assume the best of each other, I think a lot of this whole debate would be diminished or, or erased because, unfortunately, we're making assumptions of each other. Now, don't get me wrong. I do think that there is a role where – so, for example, one of, the, one of my concerns is this, and, I, and I've, been thinking this, I've been thinking about this for a lot over the last little while, and I think part of the problem is this. Unfortunately, a lot of white evangelicals, even on my side, sometimes forget the power of history, that when a black man or a black woman sees a cop, a white cop shooting a, a black, you know, a black man, the first instinct for them is to think, well, this is, you know, this is racism. This is the same thing that happened in, you know, in several decades ago is exactly what's happening now. That's their first inclination. When you're white, you're not you're not likely to think that way. But when you're black, that's oftentimes going to be your first response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. now I would remind my black friends to think, well, assume the best of the cop, right? And 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 then what I say in return is, well, if we assume the black, if we assume the white cop is racist, then that's no different than a white person assuming that just because a black person uh, is accused of, of of any crime that, that makes them a criminal just because they're black. So we all need to assume the best of each other. And I think reconciliation, that's the best way I can I, I can describe it because, as I was saying, this reconciliation is really, I think, focused on the cross and what the cross achieves. But when it comes to being more in harmony with each other, it's simply being more godly to each other. It's It's, it's being more... Um, Christ-centered, and hopefully being less, being more selfless in our uh, thinking towards our neighbor and loving our neighbors ourselves. Sam, I wanna I wanna pivot just a bit here and uh, ask yeah. you about uh, about your work this summer with uh, with the CCBR, and yeah. uh, they're they're yeah. good friends of ours. Uh, we've we've got a lot of support for what they do, but uh, with regards to uh, to our conversation here, it's. It's, it's a bit of an open secret, uh, not really talked about in abortionist circles, that uh, Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood founder, was outright and systematically racist. Uh, she yeah. worked to yeah. concentrate her efforts and build her clinics uh, in black and Latino um, Slavic neighborhoods. Um, maybe you can just say something about uh, about working with the CCBR and the connection between uh, racism and abortion, and in the in the context of of this uh, this broader discussion of justice. Yeah, one of the uh, troubling things is that um, you know I think we have our priorities um, in you know uh, in disorder, where um, so an evangelical 
um, black leader um, said some time ago that he thinks that racism is the biggest problem in America today over abortion. Um, but that assumes that there isn't a racist factor in uh, the abortion uh, issue. As, and as you highlighted, there is a problem in that. Unfortunately, many of these um, abortion clinics, they target um, you know, low-income um, neighborhoods, which unfortunately too often times tends to be uh, black neighborhoods or, my, or uh, neighborhoods um, that are mostly um, you know, full of um, minorities. So and, and that was one of the things that led me into um, working uh, as an intern at, at, um, at CCBR this summer, where I realized that I do not see racist policies or racism systemically against black people uh, in Canada or America. But I know that, unfortunately, in, Canada, in, in, uh, in America, over 300,000 babies are killed every uh, black babies are killed every day sorry what well, every day sorry every year yeah. Um, yeah. um and in canada um it's uh we have two hundred thousand um babies as a whole um killed every year and a high 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 uh, number of that unfortunately is also um black black babies yeah. and one of the things that concerns me is that i think a lot of my a lot, of, a lot of fellow black people aren't as concerned about that issue as they are. I always say that Black Lives Matter had the greatest opportunity to ensure that black lives do matter, that um, 300 babies, 300,000 babies a year are going to be killed. Yeah. Um, you know, um, these are black babies, and they actually support that. Um, so anyways, I think um, if we're going to protect black people, uh, and we should protect all people, including black people, if we're going to do that, we need to be passionate about the abortion issue. And unfortunately, for a long time, I wasn't passionate enough. Uh, and as when I was interning at CCBR, uh, the training I received there, and just seeing how so many young people uh, were uh, passionate and really, really focused on making abortion unthinkable in Canada, uh, that I that I became passionate as well. And I hope that I will continue um, to uh, work with them so that um, I can do the most that I can. Um, because, yeah, there isn't any racist policies against black people today as a whole. But unfortunately, a lot of these abortion things are targeting um, black babies. And um, I want to do the best I can to, to make um, that unthinkable. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember seeing, and it, was, it just... Uh... It, it really impressed me just how how effective and clever and on point it was. I was just I saw a picture. I don't I don't even remember where I saw it, but when when the Black Lives Matter movement was kind of really cresting in popularity, there was uh, that uh, that sign going around online of that uh, Black Lives Matter even in the womb or also in the womb, and yeah. uh, I was just yeah. I just thought, man, that's that's so good. <laughs> that's that's such a powerful message. If I may say uh, this too, I think one of the reasons why um, I've become so passionate about the abortion issue too is because um, I'm, I, I, I'm raised without my father. Um, I couldn't tell you what it looks like. If I were to walk by him in the street, I'd have no idea he was my father. And it concerns me that, um, see, so, so th that unfortunately is the biggest plight 
um, for you know for black people that in America seventy um, percent of black people are born without their fathers in the home, and it's not much better in Canada where it's it's at sixty percent, and you know that I know the challenges that comes with that, and I also know that unfortunately that black women, particularly young black women, who are raised without the father in the home or really the father not being, you know, wanting to be with her in the home, yeah. they're going to be more likely to have abortions as well. And if we are going to be concerned about our black neighbors, which we should be, we should be concerned about the biggest problem, which is dealing with the fatherless issue in the, in the communities. And if we can solve that, if we can focus on that, you're going to have more black people in the home, you're going to have more black children not being killed, then you're going to have less black people in jails and unfortunately in difficult situations. But unfortunately, I think we've lost um, sight of the real problem in, um, you know, facing black people today. Yeah, that's, uh, man, that's that's such an important point that uh, that perspective just, it just reframes uh, the whole context of the question. Well, Sam, I've, uh, I don't want to take up a whole lot more of your time. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, before I let you go, can, uh, can you just recommend for our listeners um, some, uh, some resources, something, anything that they should, uh, should read or watch to, uh, to learn more about this issue? Yeah. Um, one of my um, – anybody who's read any of my articles on race will instantly, or hopefully anyways, uh, remember uh, Thomas Sowell. Uh, he's my um, he's one of my favorite writers. Um, he's written um, two books that particularly um, mean a lot to me. Uh, one of them uh, is Black Rednecks and White Liberals. Um, the other uh, is this he released it just this March. Uh, it's called Discrimination and Disparities. Um, then there there's Anthony Carter's Black and Reformed. Um, then there is um, two books by Francis Grinke. Um, the first is The Negro and His Rights and His Wrongs, then uh, Christianity and, and Race Prejudice. Um, on top of that, um, John MacArthur is also my favorite author, and he's written a book along with his fellow elders at Grace Community Church called Right Thinking in a World Gone Wrong. Um, that book means a lot to me. Um, then there's also... Uh, so yeah, sorry, I have a few more books. <laughs> I've got a few to, yeah, uh, to list. Yeah, um, then there's uh, The Faithful Preacher by Thibiti and Abrile. Um That's a really good book as well. Then there's a book by Carmen Mboe, um, a pastor in Zambia, called Foundations for the Flock. And there's a section there on uh, the church and the state and what that means for the pastor and the believer. And it's really, 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 really good. So those books would be the books that I would uh, uh, recommend hastily to people. That's really great, Sam. And uh, I'll also just uh, just mention that uh, for those those of you who are who are listening, who maybe this is a new subject for you, Sam's blog, Slow to Write, is a fantastic introduction to these issues. It's uh, it's straightforward. It's uh, it takes some of these some of these controversial issues, especially, and just puts them very plainly it's a, it's a unique voice on a really important issue so i'm uh, again i let's uh, i'll end where we began by just uh, just thanking you my brother for your 
uh, your work, for your writing, and uh, for your time today. Uh, thank you, sir. Um, I I'll be honest. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I like to hide behind a computer and write. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm surprised you want to interview me. Um, and I was, um, I'll be honest, uh, and uh, the listeners will probably tell us, well, I was a bit nervous uh, to start, but you've been so kind and uh, you've uh, helped me to ease a little bit through this. Um, so thank you for your patience. No, really appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music and leave us a rating or a review. For more Ezra Institute resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.